Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Morning, Springs Church. Good morning to everyone. So good to see everyone back after Thanksgiving. Such a blessing having you guys here. Uh, We had a great Thanksgiving. The hardest part was keeping my kids entertained. They were home for school for a full week and trying to find things for them to do every single day. And it's interesting with kids, they, they don't seem to just go wander the neighborhoods like we used to. They just, they need things to actually do. My, my sons are saying, what am I supposed to do today? I was like, I don't know. Get outside and figure it out. Like, that's what we did when we were your age. They're like, well, you got to take a sledding. I was like, no, 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 no. We didn't take people sledding when I was your age. You grab a sled and you go sledding. Just get out of the house, go do something. And, and I remember during our holidays, my, my brother and I always seemed to get in trouble with different things. I remember there was one time uh, we, we got model rockets. Anyone ever do model rockets? And we had these model rockets, and they come with like these engines. They call them engines, and they're in different sizes. There's like an A engine, a B engine, a C engine, a D engine, and so forth and so on. And, and what we were doing is we were taking these little rockets, but we were buying bigger engines, and we were just shoving the bigger engine into the rocket thinking it would go higher. And finally, I looked at my brother right around this holiday season, and I looked at him, and I said, I think if we just glue wings straight to the engine and get rid of the rocket, it'll go the highest we'll ever see. So I said, I said, get rid of the rocket. Let's just take an engine, glue some wings to it and see what happens. So I glued some wings. I left it. I went out and I was hanging out. My brother grabbed it and he went with a bunch of friends and they tried to shoot the rocket. They tried to shoot it up in the air. And as they shot the rocket up in the air, one of the wings had fallen off and it went squirrely all over the place. It shot right through a window in the neighborhood. And the family was sitting there after this holiday and they were watching the TV. They were all there together, shoots in into the living room, bounces all over the walls, hits a lamp, gets stuck in the couch, starts sparking, starts the rug and the couch on fire as they were sitting on the rug and the couch watching the TV. So their whole house is on fire. They don't even know what's going on. So they finally put it all out. My brother scrambles away. He comes home. My dad's asleep on the couch as he always was. And he peeks his head into the door. He goes, Psst, ma. She goes, what? He goes, can you come outside? <laughs> She goes, no, I'm watching something on the TV. He goes, okay, shuts the door. He opens the door two minutes later. Psst, mom, can you come outside? I'm still watching TV. What is it, Joey? He says, oh, never mind. He cuts the door and then he peeks in again. He goes, Psst, mom, would you come outside? She goes, what is it, Joey? Are the police coming or something? And he goes, no, not yet, but they're on their way. <laughs> so she went out. My brother explained it all. My mom had to go turn him in brought him to the police station, said, we got the kid who tried to burn down the house. And they said, no, 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 we got that kid already. So my brother goes, well, justice be served, turned right around, walked right out, <laughs> left the police station. My mom had to literally argue with the police. No, he is the one. No, we got him. No, he is it. So those were family holiday seasons in the Patillo household. The cops always seem to show up for some reason, but uh, it, made, it made good memories either way. Amen. Amen. All right, before we get in the Word this morning, and we are going to get into the Word, I have one more announcement I want to make today. Uh, we actually have a petition in our front lobby. Uh, it is a petition that if we get enough signatures across the state, that we would be able to actually put up a bill that would come up next year to be voted on to end abortion in Colorado, to end abortion. I don't know if people know this, but since Roe v. Wade was overturned, there's been a survey that's been done, and they estimate about 30,000 children have been saved. They were not aborted because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, let me just say this. I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. I know a lot of people might feel like, well, Pastor Michael, that's getting too political. You're starting to get into the, the realm of politics for a second. Let me just say, this issue is not a political issue. This issue is a Word of God issue. God makes it very clear that He is the one that begins life and ends life as He sees fit. And He makes it very clear that He is the one that gives the ability to conceive. You could read it all through the Scriptures, and that life begins in conception in the womb. Think about this. When Jesus came to the earth, 
to fulfill all righteousness for 33 years. He didn't come as a man to fulfill all that righteousness, to give us the imputed righteousness of Christ. He had to come as what? A fetus. That's where life for God began. He had to live it out for the 33 years until God decided that that was going to be the end. And you have to understand, that's where life actually begins. See, the reason we make these issues political is because we take what the word of God says is right or wrong, and then we make it a gray area when it's really black and white, and then we argue and we bicker about it. This is not an issue. This is what the word of God says. And let me just say this. I lovingly say it. I'm not even raising my voice. Normally as an Italian, we go all out, right? I'm not doing any of that. I'm saying it as lovingly as I can. If you got an issue with me because I just said this, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God. And let me just give a quick warning on this. I want you to understand something because I just read the book of Job. Anyone ever read the book of Job? Okay. Arguing with God is not going to work. There's a day coming like Job where God's going to say, okay, listen to me. You want to question me? Now I'm going to question you. Gird yourself like a man because I'm going to show you who I really am. And when you see how just and perfect and loving and holy he is, listen, that silences all questions. God is saying, who do you think you are making judgments in your own fallen nature when I am absolutely pure and perfect and just and holy? Trust me, I know how it's supposed to work. You do not know how it works and your thinking is off. God says, my way is right. So let me just say, I'm not trying to be rude or mean. I just, can I be honest? I'm getting tired of apologizing for God. I'm not apologizing for the Lord, and I'm not apologizing. You know what I'm doing? I'm getting on his side with the whirlwind. I'm saying, you know what? I'm going to get on this side, not that side anymore. Amen? So if you feel on your heart that you want to sign that petition, it's going to be out there in the lobby. I'm not forcing anyone or telling anybody what to do. I'm just telling you, this is what the word of God says, and here's an opportunity for us. And as impossible as it might seem in the natural, God took down Roe versus Wade through the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the church, and he has saved over 30,000 children's lives, and we are grateful for that today. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Let's get into the word. Since this is... Child Dedication Sunday, I want to talk a message that I have entitled, The Importance of Children. I want to talk about the importance of children. We've been talking about spiritual warfare, and I want to talk about one area of spiritual warfare that sometimes we don't really think about in the context of the importance of children. So Father, I'm giving this word to you right now, and I am praying for an anointing over it by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I recognize that I will never be able to convey the heart never be able to convey the passion and the burden of God through my own words, but you can convey it. You can bear witness to the truth and convict us in a way that it changes things in our lives. So Holy Spirit, I ask today that your conviction would ray over this word. It, it would cut into our hearts. It would stir up affections for God. It would give us clarity and vision. It would give us the ability to be able to see the way that you see. So God, we commit that to you now. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 21, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read verse 6 through 17, and then we'll jump in together. Matthew chapter 21. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now look at verse 15. This is important. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. 
I have read this passage over and over so many times. But I have never noticed verse 15 in the context of the rest of the narrative. If you read through Matthew chapter 21 and you focus on the responses of the Pharisees, it becomes evident that there was a tipping point for them during Jesus' triumphant entry. They tolerated the palm branches and the praises that were shout. They held back their tongue when he went into the temple and threw over all the tables of the money changers and drove everybody out with a whip. Right? They held back from venting their anger when all the lame and the sick and the blind came to be healed. But when the chief priests and the scribes heard the high-pitched cries of the children shouting, Hosanna in the highest, the Bible says that they lost it. In fact, the scripture says that they were indignant, which means to be sore displeased. And they were so angry that they screamed out to Jesus and they said, do you hear what these children are saying? In other words, they were confronting Jesus and they were asking him, do you see these children who are untrained in the scriptures? These children who do not understand the full weight and expression of our religion. Do you see the claims that they are making and the praises that they are shouting at you? Whether it's true or it's not, they are too young to know what they are saying and you should tell them to be quiet. See, this passage reveals something to us as the church. It shows us where one of Satan's main focuses in destroying God's creation and hindering the gospel is. It, it, it shows us where his fury and his animosity to still kill and destroy is fixed. Remember the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, the scribes, and the chief priests, you are all sons of the devil. Every one of these religious leaders, through the stubbornness of their own hearts, their unwillingness to humble themselves before God, had opened up a door for Satan to be able to use them for his intended purposes. And these verses, this is important, these verses show us where the enemy, through the scribes, was focused. The enemy didn't mind the palm branches and the praises. The enemy was willing to sit back through the throwing out of all the money changers. The enemy didn't stop all the lame people and the sick that were coming to be healed. No, 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 no. The enemy begins to lose it when, 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 when the children show up on the scene. That's where his focus was. He says, this is a step too far. Why are children so important to Satan? Anyone who's ever carried the responsibility of being a parent knows that there is a satanic fury against our kids. He will not give up and let them go. But the question is, why? Why? Well, we spoke about it a few weeks ago. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless what? Unless you become like one of these little children. That was his own words. See, children, I want you to get this. Children are dependent. They haven't grown up and bought into the lie of being self-sufficient inside of themselves, right? Which means, get this, when they hear the gospel, they actually hear the gospel. See, when adults listen to the good news, it takes time before it actually affects their hearts because we carry so much responsibility and we think that we have to be self-sufficient in order to survive, which creates a filter that affects the way that we hear the gospel. Adults are always looking for the next principle. They're always looking for the next three steps to have a better and happier life. We're always looking for the next thing that we can begin to implement to take everything that is wrong and make it right. But the gospel, and I want you to get this, and this is important, is not a bunch of principles. The gospel is an act of love that is described through numerous stories in the Bible. 
And it's through God's act of love, through his death on the cross, that our hearts are healed. Our hearts are healed. And out of a response to that love, when you actually get it, when it becomes revealed to you, not all the principles, not just all the teaching, but you see with the eyes of your heart what God has actually done. The, the lengths that he has went to to be able to save your soul. When you see that, there's a response that begins to come out of you where you start to trust and you begin to obey God. The gospel is not information. The gospel is a love story that's supposed to stir us and woo us to God. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why is that the greatest commandment? Because if our hearts are stirred to love God, all the other commandments fall into place. <laughs> right? If I love the Lord and I trust the Lord and I'm healed in my relationship with God, whatever he calls me to do, I say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. If you're having a tough time where you're not obeying some area in your walk with the Lord, listen to me. One of the reasons you're not obeying is because your affections are not really stirred for him. You don't see how good he really is. You're not listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because your heart is not alive to what Jesus has actually done. We are stirred in our hearts towards God. How? Through the sitting under the preaching of the gospel, through the studying, through the reading, through the praying over the gospel. And get this, children are in the most prime place because of their dependency and their innocence to be able to receive and to be able to be stirred by the gospel. And if you don't believe me, let me show you some statistics. In fact, let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see this. There's a Christian survey that was done in 2019 with 400 Christian ministry leaders. The survey was gathering information about children's ministry and Bible-believing churches. And this is what they found. Okay, after surveying 400 churches, the congregation, the ministry leaders, the children's church, this is what they found. Watch this. Two out of three Christians came to faith before the age of 18. Out of these 400 churches, if you went up to three Christians, two of them came to faith before they were ever adults. In fact, look, look at the next thing. 43% of Christians came to faith before the age of what? 12. That's almost 50% of the church. And you know what's amazing? There's a bunch of different surveys that have been done like this all over the world in different nations and people groups. The percentages are almost exactly the same. There are a few points higher or a few points lower, but they're almost exact. In fact, look at what it says next. Less than one out of four believers, less than 25% of the church came to Christ after the age of 21. See, these Christian research groups, they are describing childhood as a life stage when people are most open to the gospel. In fact, let me do this. Let me take you all this information because they actually gave a pie chart to give you a visual to really get it. And let me show you it in a visual way so it really steeps down into your heart. Watch this. This is amazing. Out of this survey that they did, I want you to see this. Look at this. Ages six or younger who got saved before six or younger, 15% of all the churches. Okay, look at this. Ages 7 to 11, they gave their life to Christ. It was 32% of all the churches. And then when it got to ages 12 to 19, it's almost 40% of everybody in the church gave their life to Christ. Look at this. Ages 20 to 29 is 11%. And then watch this, because this is important. After age 30, it drops down to almost just 5%. You know what these researchers are showing us? They're showing us what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 16. Listen to what he said, because this is important. But Jesus called the children to him. Well, he called them. You know, sometimes we think Jesus was just going from village to village. He's just dealing with adults. He said, no, 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 no. I'm calling the children. Bring the children. Bring the children. And he said this. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You know what Jesus is saying? Out of everybody who's going to hear my voice, the most fertile soil of the heart is going to be with these kids. 
They're going to hear something that nobody else is going to be able to hear. He says, you're going to weigh out every one of my words, and you're going to figure out how you can make things happen and what you need to do to be able to get into the kingdom of God. Meanwhile, the kids are just running right by, and they're grabbing a hold of Jesus, and they're believing what he is saying. They're being stirred in their affections for him. Children are in the most prime place out of everybody in the church and out of everyone in our community to receive and believe the gospel. And that is why Satan fights so hard to destroy them. He knows he's got the adults. He's got them pretty much played. Can God break through? Can revival happen? Of course. But there's a lot of stuff to break through in the adults' hearts. Because we think that we could do it in and of ourselves. And even when we keep hearing the messages, we're constantly putting our own filters on because we think we know how it's supposed to happen. The most prime place are the children, and that's where the attack is being laid. Our young people, our children, our teenagers are experiencing a spiritual warfare, a spiritual attack unlike any other generation. And we as the church have to help them fight back. How do we help them fight back? What can we do, Pastor Michael? Well, turn with me. I'm going to answer that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read to you verses 4 through 9. Watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now Deuteronomy chapter six, is, it's called the Shema. The Shema is a prayer that is actually quoted in the New Testament by Jesus when he was asked what was the greatest commandment of all. God had given the Shema to his people so that they can use it and its direction to help stir up their affection and the affections of their children for God. That's what it was for. It was to stir up their affections. It was to be used to stir up the next generation. In fact, let me put this up on the screen because you have to understand the way that you have been wired by God to understand the depth of what the Shema is showing us. Ready for this? I want you to see this. You are not primarily a thinking being, which means, are you ready? Your life is not marked by what you think is right and wrong. No, 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 no. Your life is marked, ready, by what you love. You are primarily a lover and a worshiper. That's how God has created you. And you could say with your mouth, I value this and I treasure this and I stand for this. But when it's all said and done, you're a person that's always going to be driven by your loves. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. What is he saying? He's saying you're driven by this. It doesn't matter what I say up here. It's your heart that makes the difference. If your heart's attached to that stuff, if your heart loves that stuff, that's where you're going to be led. That's how you're going to live your life. And the Shema is revealing this truth of how we've been wired by God to us. And it's showing us how to stir up our love for God in the context of preparing the next generation to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength, and with all their soul. That's what it is. It's revealing how we're wired, how God made us, and how to stir it up inside of us and to stir up the generation that's coming behind us. We talked about some of this just a few weeks ago. In fact, look at verse 7. Let's read it together. Watch this. What does God say? Hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Stir up your affections for me. Well, how? Okay, he says, impress these things on who? On your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. We talked about how to have a family devotion time at home, right? And how to ask questions so that your children learn how to apply the gospel to their own lives. It's not enough for them just to hear it. They have to learn how to apply it. 
You got to ask them things and questions that get them to think, okay, this is how God made me. Okay, this is who God is. Okay, if I really believed what the scripture is saying, this is what my life would actually look like. You got to connect the dots so they start applying it to their own hearts. And we talked about sharing our testimony. Most of, most of our children, grandparents, most of your grandkids don't know your testimony. We should be sharing our testimony and testimonies so that our kids understand and hear how faithful God is. We spoke about all this, but then look at verse eight. This is amazing. Watch what verse eight says. Then it goes on and says, okay, if you want to stir up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, what is this? What is God saying in verse 8? He's showing us how to stir the affections of our children, and I want you to write this down, by marking. He says, I want you to make a mark. I want you to mark something on your door frames and on your gates. There's a marking that I want you to put. He's saying, if you're going to stir the affections of your children, you have to actually learn to mark. See, it's so important. That is, we're raising our kids under the truth of the gospel that we are intentional as parents, grandparents, aunt, uncles, family, friends, children, workers, to mark, and listen to me, spiritually significant moments in our kids' lives. In fact, let me put this up. One more thing on the screen. I want you to see this. We have to learn to mark occasions by celebrating and commemorating significant spiritual milestones of God's work in the life of our family and the life of our children. This is one of the ways that the Shema teaches us how to stir up our children's love for God. Let, let me read it again. I want you to get this. We have to learn what? To mark occasions. So when occasion comes up, we can't let it just pass. We got to mark it according to what the Bible says. And we have to do that by celebrating and commemorating we have to celebrate it and commemorate it in our children's lives. And the Bible is showing us through the Shema, that's how God has wired us to stir up our children's affections for him. God has wired us as a people who are moved, ready for this, by remembering. We are moved by remembering. Think about it. Every time you get together with a group of friends or with some family members or coworkers, I don't care what you go and do, whatever you're doing, you know what always happens? It always takes place. Storytelling. Somebody starts with a story and it always starts to snowball, doesn't it? So someone will get up and say, hey, do you remember that time when we, or someone else will say, I remember when I was a kid. Why? Why? Because our default setting as human beings, write this down, and this is important, is to remember. It's through remembering that we build relationship. It's through remembering that we make connections. It's through remembering that we begin to take the next step in our lives of what God has actually called us to do. It is through remembrance. That's how God wired you. That's how God wired me. That's what the Shema is talking about. He's saying, you want to stir this up in your kids? You want to stir it up in your whole life? You got to be a people who actually remember. And this is a universal truth for every single culture or people group, no matter where you go. I know, I was a missionary. I've been to the northern top parts of northern Uganda. I've been to Zambia. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Kenya. I've been all the way to the other end of the world, Vladivostok, Russia, Latvia. I've been to Israel, Ireland, all over Europe, Guatemala, Colombia. It doesn't matter. When I sit down and I talk to a missionary couple or the indigenous people and we begin to relax and we start to connect, what happens it always ends up in storytelling. Happy stories, sad stories, funny. We always tell stories. Let me tell you, even when there's a language barrier and there's a translator, we're still telling stories to be able to connect. We are moved by remembering. It's how God wired us. But, and this is important, there is one area that all human beings, because of the fall, has a hard time remembering. You can remember everything else but this one area. And what is it? It's God's faithfulness to us. It's amazing. We can remember everything else. 
We can remember even our adolescence. I mean, I could tell you clothes that I was wearing, food that I was eating. You know every single story. But God's faithfulness is something that we're constantly forgetting. How do I know this? Because as soon as you get into the next spiritual battle and attack, as soon as you get into the next trial, can I be honest? We lose all memory of God's leading and his provision and his direction that brought us through the last 50 spiritual attacks and the last 50 trials. We immediately come to church and think, he's abandoned us. He's rejected me. He's not with me anymore. He doesn't care about me anymore. And we start going through all the lists in our minds. What did I do? What did I do that God has let go of me? Was I good enough in my devotion time? Oh, I missed that whole week. Oh my gosh, he left me. He let, but it's my fault. I did it to myself. I was such a stupid fool. I made a mistake. I, 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 I made a financial decision that maybe I shouldn't have made. And now his hand is off of me. Now his hand, and we run around with like a little chicken with our heads cut off because we don't remember. We don't remember that he was faithful even before we got saved. We don't remember he was moving in our lives before we ever surrendered to him. That he came and he died on a cross before we ever bent our knees. All of that goes out the window. We are prone to forgetting the goodness of God. And when we forget the goodness of God, our love for God begins to diminish. And when our love for God begins to diminish, Satan's accusations and his temptations lay hold of us. They get a hold of us. That's why the Shema teaches us the importance of marking and building into our lives things that help us remember. Remember God's faithfulness. I'll give you an example. I'm gonna put him on the spot. He's here today, the whole family's here today, but I got an opportunity last week to go to DJ Packard's going away party. Give him a round, actually give him a round of applause and I'll share where he's headed just in a moment. The Packard's are an incredible, committed congregation, part of the family here at Springs Church. And DJ has just signed up to go serve in the Air Force. Give him another round of applause. He's heading out to serve in the Air Force, which we're grateful for. But before he heads off for basic training, before he goes off, his family, the Packers, decided to throw him a party. And what I love, what I love, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna just, gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna champion them for a second. What I love about Marie and Derek is they actually cut out some time in the middle of the party, and DJ, you didn't know this, but they were cutting out some time to mark your life. They wanted to mark you. And what they did is they had DJ, I'm sorry, DJ, you're getting embarrassed this morning, but you're gonna deal with it. They put DJ in a chair in the middle of the living room and they had all his family and his friends and spiritual leaders gather around him. And this is what they said. They said for the next two or three minutes each, would somebody come up and share something significant about DJ or about this new transition into this chapter of his life? And when we got done sharing, they said, would you lay hands on him now and would you begin to pray? Oh my gosh. The things that were spoken over this young man, the prayers, the burden and the love for this guy this guy that came out through the prayer time, let me tell you something, and I don't know if you realize this, DJ, it was significant and it marked your life. It was a marking. It was a time of remembering everything that God has done in you and through you over the last 18 years. I know another pastor. He's not here, so I don't have to embarrass him, but his daughter was turning 13 and, and she was about to become a teenager. And he wanted to take an opportunity through the occasion to celebrate and to commiserate what God has done, his faithfulness in his daughter's life. So he threw her a party, but this is what he did. He got 12 of her closest friends and the family, the wife and everybody together. And he had each one of them, these 12 and himself, which made 13, write down one attribute, one attribute that God had hardwired into his daughter that made her who she was. And they wrote down the attribute. And then in the middle of the party, they had her sit down. And then they all came out one after another, just a few minutes each, and they shared the attribute and how they saw the attribute playing out in her life. And when it was all done, the pastor, the father, then came out. And he took the 13th attribute and he shared it with his daughter. He blessed his daughter. He had all the family and friends come around, lay hands on his daughter, and they began to pray over all those wonderful 
attributes. And then this is what's amazing. Because they wrote it all down. Sorry, DJ, we didn't write it down. But you still got it. But because they wrote it all down, they created a journal that they actually gave to her that she would be able to read to help her remember God's faithfulness and how God created her wonderfully and fearfully in his image that she can read on good days and bad days as a teenager. That they marked her life. They said, we're going to stir up your affections by remembering God's faithfulness. We're going to take this occasion to take this spiritual milestone of you becoming a teenager to gather everybody around and begin sharing all the things that God has done and God is doing inside of you. A marking could be something as simple as going the extra mile. Parents, listen to me. Those that just dedicated your children. Grandparents, listen to me. Brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. It could be something as simple as just going the extra mile the day that you baptize your child in this church. Or when they get promoted from children's church into middle school ministry or in high school ministry. It could be something as simple as just taking them out to their favorite restaurant. And you take them out to that restaurant and you prepare a few questions beforehand. And you ask them a few things like, what was your favorite part of children's ministry? What are you going to miss the most? What are you most nervous about going into high school? How is God going to help you through that? Who has God provided in your life that you're going to be able to lean on through these transitions? Now I know. There's already parents here and grandparents here who said, we tried that, Pastor Michael. We did that. They looked at me like a deer stuck in headlights. They didn't say a single word. See, we have this idea that if we go and we mark their lives, suddenly the heavens are just gonna open in the IHOP. The angels are gonna come down. And we're gonna have this moment where they're gonna be like putty, just crying all over us. And we're saying, you see what God is doing? This is so amazing. Let me tell you, that doesn't happen in real life. Not always. See, that's how we want it to go down as parents. You wanna know why? because we want to get something from that moment. It's not about us. It was never about us. Just having the moment, even if they sit there like a bump on the log, shows them that they are valued, that they are cared for, and that they are prayed over. And it reminds them that they have some place that they will always be able to anchor no matter where they go in life or in the world. That's what it's supposed to be about. It's not about you. It's not about you getting your jollies and be like, hey man, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best parent of the year. I mean, no, that's not what it's about. It's about them. It's about marking their life, whether they recognize it or they don't. They might walk right by the doors of their house or their gate and never even see it. They might walk, but you mark it. You put a sticky note on them because there's a day. There's a day that God's going to do things in their life and it's going to come back and the remembrance is going to flood in and they're going to move into the things that God has called them to do. I just finished reading the Pentateuch to my kids. That was our, our family devotion time, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let me tell you something. Do you know what it's like to have a devotion time with Max Racer, my child? You have no idea. You guys should be coming up praying for me after service. You should be weeping for me when this is all done. I mean, half the time I thought he was asleep. I didn't know what he was doing. There would be a smell in the room. I'd be like, Max, what, what's going on? And then you find out he didn't, he didn't wipe after he went to the bathroom or something. You got to figure that whole situation out. Got to retrain him. We did this whole toilet trip. I'm, I'm having devotions, and this is what I'm talking about. But it was amazing. I, I've gone through all year just going through this. And I got done, and we finished Deuteronomy. It was the last book. We finished everything up. And it was amazing to me. I got done. I was asking a few questions to land, and Max starts chiming in. He goes, yeah, that was the Ark of the Covenant. That was in the Holy of Holies. God put the incense, the altar. That was the prayers of the people. He went on. He goes, Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. He never ate any food. And he saw God face to face when the Bible says you're not allowed to see God face to face because you'll die. So I don't understand how that works, but I know Moses actually, I mean, I'm listening to this whole thing. And I'm thinking, is this my child? Is this my kid? Did I take the wrong kid home from church? I mean, is, is this one of the, the homeschool children that you bring home and they know everything? I'm, I'm, I'm looking up like, who is this kid? See, it's not about you. It's doing things in a It's stirring affections even though you might never see a sign. You might see nothing. It might be literally just quiet, crickets everywhere you go. I tell people all the time, you know what was amazing about Solomon's temple? This is what the scripture says. It said that they quarried all the stones off site and they rolled it to the temple, which means there was no stones that were hammering on that temple, which means this. If you were gonna walk by and you didn't pay attention to that, that temple site and you just walked by, you wouldn't hear a thing under the construction. It's only if you turned your eyes would you be able to see it. There are times in our lives God is building, you don't hear a 
single thing. But let me tell you something. God is building even though you don't hear it. And there's a day he's going to turn your eyes. He's going to turn your face and he's going to show you, do you see this grand temple that I've been building this whole time? I've been building it in your life. I've been building it in your children. I've been building it as you have used my direction to stir up their affection for me. Amen. All right. I got to go back to my notes. Are you ready? A marking, listen to this. It could be a gift. Or it could be taking your kid on a trip. This is not my type of marking, but it might be taking your kids, can't even say it, camping. <laughs> I brought Landon camping one time. I remember we got to what, like 11 o'clock at night, and he's like, can we go home? I said, you are my child. You are my child. Come give me a hug. <laughs> yes, we could go home, and we never have to come back, ever. <laughs> so we loaded up in the car. Could be bringing them on a camping trip. It, it could be if you got the flow and you got the cash, taking your kids to something like Paris. I love to mark my life with Paris. If anybody's here after service, they want to mark me, I'm, re I'm ready to go. We'll mark over at the Eiffel Tower. We'll eat the croissants. We'll hang out together. I will remember God's faithfulness. I promise you. Bring me to Paris. Or it could be one of my favorites. Listen to this. It could just be a handwritten or typed out letter to your kids that they can keep at spiritually significant times in their lives that they can actually look back on and they could read just to remember and be stirred by God's faithfulness. I did this in reverse. When I turned 40 years old, my father always marks my life with gifts. We're Italian. Italians do two things in life, okay? We start businesses. You get to like age four and your mom and dad kick you out of the house. You go, go start a business. What? What are you talking about? That's what we do. Greeks and Italians. We, we do diners. We do laundry mats. We do organized crime, whatever it is. But, but we start businesses. That's what we do. So we start businesses, and then we give gifts. That's, what, that's how Italians mark. We mark. And my father's a gift giver. That's what he does. So my dad, on my 30th birthday, he bought me a beautiful watch just to, to congratulate me as I was getting married and just in the stage of my life. But then on my 40th birthday, he went above and beyond. He bought me another watch that was like 10 times greater than the last watch, and I was just blown away by it. And he came out here just to spend a little time, my mom and my dad with us. And as my dad was leaving, what I did is I said, before he goes, I sat down all night long and I prepared a letter. I put a letter together that I gave to him the next day that he can read on the airplane on the way back. And in the letter, I said this to him. I said, Dad, it's not about the gift of the watch, but it's about what the watch represents. This to me represents all your faithfulness, your love, your kindness, and your sacrifice to get me where I am today. And I told him this. I said, me and Beth would never make it in ministry or be doing what God has called us to do if you and mom didn't see the call on our life and sacrifice to be able to get us there. When nobody else would help, you stepped in. You helped us financially. You helped us through your encouragement. You called me in the evening. I wrote this all out in a letter. And I said, I just want you to understand something, that God has been faithful to this family and God has been faithful to you to use your life for his own kingdom purposes. I gave it to my dad. I said, and the reason I want him to have it in a letter is because I wanted my dad. My dad files everything. He doesn't work on computers. Everything's got to be a, a written copy of something. And it's like file, file, file. I wanted it in a file that he could go back and he could reread that would stir up his affection, would stir up his faith in God, that would stir him up even when he's in a place that he's having a down day because everybody deals with down days. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, children workers, are you praying? Are you praying that God would give you creativity and he would give you wisdom so that you can mark the children and the next generation that he has given you influence on for his kingdom? Are you praying, saying, God, put things in my heart Teach me how to mark. Give me a resilience. When I try and I fail, I get up and I do it again. Show me how to do this. This is not natural for the American culture. But this is how God wired us to be. Lastly, one of the greatest markers that can make or break a child's devotion to God 
is being willing to sacrifice your time to serve as a children's worker or as a youth leader. I cannot tell you how many times God used me as a youth pastor to mark a teenager for his kingdom just by taking them out to lunch, taking them on a missions trip and just being there, listening to their conversations and showing them through listening that God values their life. And then just having one or two scriptures. Sometimes God will just put a scripture in my heart for them and say, I want you to understand something. This is scripture that God just gave me last night in prayer for you. I want you to highlight it. I want you to circle it. I want you to put an aster around it. I want you to read it. Read it every single month. Every single month for the next couple years of your life. I can't tell you the type of moments that I've had just by being there in that place, sacrificing my time, where I would drive kids home sometimes and I'd say, I just want to pray for you. And I wasn't even like sensing God. You ever be in those prayers? You're just going to throw up a prayer. It's not like you're burden or but suddenly I'd pray and the presence of God would just come down in the car and he would mark that young person he'd mark them with a moment something was said in the prayer that lodged in their spirit it lodged in their own hearts to remind them and to stir them up in the faithfulness of God over their lives it's just being willing to be there or even being a children's worker man I remember when I first got saved I'm 22 years old I'm at Times Square Church, New York City. Let me tell you something. I didn't even know how to handle my own life, let alone children. I didn't know how to dress properly. I didn't change my clothes for weeks on end. I remember I used to have different classes throughout the week. They were like these module classes. So I keep the same pants and the same shirt on all through the week thinking nobody will ever notice because I don't run into the same people because there's different classes. And then I was in a photo lab one night and one of the girls came up to me and said, haven't you been wearing that all week? And I go, shoot, shoot got caught. But I remember when I got to Times Square Church, they were looking for children's workers because like any church, there's just not enough. And they said, would you come help out with the children? And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I just got saved. Uh, I'll probably mess a few things up, but sure, I'll come. And I, they gave me the second graders. And you have to understand, this is like a 10,000 person church. Okay, this is not a thousand person. This is 10,000 people. You gotta understand, second grade with all these, this is nuts. This is a, they put them all in one room because in New York, it's not like they had huge expansive buildings. They had these small little rooms for these kids to be. So I'd go in there and then they would lock the door. They closed up what they would lock, but they closed the door and they would yell just before they were shutting the door just to let you know the teacher hasn't showed up and even though you're an assistant, you take care of them. And I'm thinking in my mind, I don't know what to do. I'm watching kids run with scissors. They're up on the chairs. They're dancing to do it. And I'm thinking in my mind, as long as they're not dying, this is good enough. This is, this, this, the, the presence of God is here. I remember there was a time two kids got in it. They, were, they weren't fighting, but they were smacking and they were arguing. And I'm trying to separate them. So I'm like, I got one kid in one hand and one kid in the other. They're, they're, they're second graders, right? And then there's a girl sitting off in the distance. She's actually not sitting. She's standing. She has a dress on. And she's going, teacher Michael, teacher Michael. And she's kind of squirming. She's like this. And how many of you know, I didn't know this back then, but now I've learned, when kids are squirming and they're yelling at your name, that, that's something serious, right? So I'm trying to take care of these kids. There's no, there's no help in the class. I don't have anybody with me. So I look over the girl and I, I didn't yell it meanly I just said what is it what's going on and she literally just looks at me and says too late just pees all over the ground <laughs> everywhere all over the place and now I got kids like running through and playing tag and all these things and I'm thinking I'm thinking what do I do so I'm just putting newspapers on and I'm, I'm wrapping the kid in newspapers I don't know what to do I, I don't have anybody with me I can't get them out of class I don't know what's going you think children's church is tough here you have no idea Parents come to pick up the kids just to let you know they might have drank a little pee. Just, just, just pray over that. It's going to be okay. Like, this is what it was. And it was just chaos. But I remember all the services went long. You think services go long here. You have no idea. Altar times at Times Square Church could be an hour long. They could be an hour and a half. The presence of God would just come down. And I remember I had to figure out something to do with these kids. So I would take the Bible stories that I was teaching them. And what I would do is I'd role play them at the end so that we got more time out of it. So if we were talking about Jonah and the big fish, I'd go get some cardboard and I'd make like a little boat. And then I'd tell the kid, go over to the light switch and flick the light switch on and off like we're in a storm. And I'd get all the kids in the boat and I would shake the boat around, right? And then I'd go, okay, who's going to be Jonah? And then the worst, the, the, the worst kid there, I would throw him out of the boat. I would just chuck him out of the boat. <laughs> It's like, you've been bugging me all week. I just couple of three, right? And then, and then I would grab these little foam mats and, I, and, and somebody pretend to be the fish and they'd swallow up the little kid and all these things. And everybody wanted to, oh, Pastor Mike, they wouldn't even leave when the parents would show up. And I do it through all of the Bible stories. I figure out ways to do this. Well, what was amazing to me, and I did that for three years at Times Square Church and then I was heading out to Bible school. 
And I gotta be honest, I didn't even think these kids even knew who I was or even recognized me. But on my last day, my last Sunday before I was going to Bible school, the, the leader of the children's church came to me and said, will you come say goodbye to the kids? And I'm thinking in my mind, why? It's just a waste of time. They're just gonna go, bye, do whatever they're doing and just, but I came. And she told all the children, teacher Michael's leaving, he's gonna go to Bible school. And it was amazing to me, because I'd never realized it, but each one of them began to cry. They began to cry. And they came over and they all gave me this crazy hug. And they all said, like, we're gonna miss, we miss you, we miss you. See, children are children. So sometimes you don't always see the impact right away because they're children. They don't know how to express these things just yet. They don't know how to say things just yet. But let me tell you something. When you serve in those capacities, you mark their lives. You mark their lives. You, like the Shema, are putting something of God's faithfulness that God is going to use to stir up their love and the devotion for Him. It's not something light. It carries weight. And those that are children workers and youth leaders, I want you to understand, you think I'm just going to go on a retreat and I'm just going to be up all night at this retreat, stuck in this bunk bed while some kid kicks me in the side, whatever it is. Let me tell you, you have no idea you being there, what you're doing and what you're marking. It is so imperative. There is a satanic fury and attack on our children. Satan understands that they are the most primed to receive the gospel. And he is doing everything to take them out. And God is saying, if I could just get my people to follow the directions of what I have shown in scripture, the way I've wired our children to respond as a place of remembrance, a marking in their life to serve like that, God says, I could raise up a whole nother generation that could push these attacks down and even advance the kingdom of God for my glory. Man, church, I want to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on. Worship team, let me read something to you and then we're going to worship. We're going to have a song of worship. But I want to read Psalm 145 to you. Listen to this psalm. I'm going to read verses one through nine. It says this. I will extol you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. Now, this is speaking about commending God's works. Ready? They tell of the power of your awesome works. He says, tell this to the next generation. And it says, and I will proclaim your great deeds to them. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Oh, I want my kids to say that. That's what I want to stir in their lives. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Stand with me, Springs Church. We're going to close with a song of worship. I asked them to sing King of My Heart. And this morning, as we sing this, King of My Heart, can we sing it as a prayer for our generation coming? Can we say, God, be king of their hearts? And say, God, would you show me how you want to use me to be able to stir up their affections for you? So can we sing this as a prayer to the Lord? And then I'll come back and we'll dismiss. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.